The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. I hope you all had a great spring break. And uh, for those of you who are here this week, you weren't here last week, I'll do a little bit of a review because this passage that we're covering today, Isaiah 53, 1-6, is absolutely, absolutely critical Uh, for your life, for any kind of understanding of what Christianity is all about, because it does answer the question, why did Jesus have to die? So can you answer that question? Why did Jesus have to die? And and if you can, why would you answer answer that? Why is that so absolutely essential uh, for all of Christianity? We're going into one of the most important weeks of all of Christianity. We're talking about the death of Jesus on the cross. We're talking about atonement, and that's what we began in Isaiah 53 last week. So if, if you missed last week, you can go back. You can listen to it online. That might be helpful. Hopefully, I'll do enough review where you'll be able to start off fresh. And then um, that's important. And then obviously, the resurrection is so critically important on this day, next week, on Easter Sunday morning, the, the resurrection just validates everything that God accomplished on the cross, sets us free, Jesus is alive. So what an awesome week. So I've, I've got a challenge for you. So hopefully you got, you got a little bulletin, you got a little um, bulletin as you walked in. If you will take that out, because here's your assignment. I'm going to be going through some of the facets of the cross. What does the cross mean? There are five of them. And so my suggestion would be, this would be wonderful for a community group, if you're in one, to go through these five facets as a review for the Good Friday service, the communion service on Good Friday, which will be wonderful, and then prepare you for Easter uh, Sunday uh, two days later. But take out that, because we're going to go through those five facets, and there are a few blanks that you're going to want to fulfill, fill in. My suggestion would be to take one of those for the next five days to prepare you for Friday. So that's a suggestion. You, you could study it as a community group together or take one per day as a family, get ready, uh, get ready for Friday. But last week we, we began talking about Isaiah 53, 1-6, and it's a prophetic message. And what it is, just real simply, it's Isaiah looking into the future, hearing Israel repentant over they're missing the Messiah. They missed the Messiah. He was so misunderstood. They had something pictured in their mind. They, they had him pictured as sort of a GQ Jesus, you know, having it all together and, you know, looking wonderful. And, and uh, they had everything outlined in their own mind, what the Messiah should look like. And he blew their pattern away. And yet at the same time, it's Israel in the future telling us today we had better understand what the Messiah did for us, the vicarious nature of Jesus. And so quite simply, verses 4 to 5, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That's the repentant Israel. We're saying we just thought God was beaten up on him because he did something wrong. We were wrong, but he instead was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. So this passage then ends with the very confession that these repentant Hebrews are saying we have to have regarding the Messiah, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone 
has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Last week, we talked about two things that were extremely important. And this passage uncovers it. It's the difference between religion and the gospel. Very different. Quite simply, um, in this passage we discover it. Religion says that the way to get right with God, the way to be justified with God, is through the works of the law, through uh, ceremonial observances, and when you do that, then you're saved. Then everything's right. Or in other words, as Tim Keller did a podcast, it was on Jay Grisham Mation, as he summarized all this, he said you could summarize it in three words very simply. The, the order of religion is believe, you're going to believe in a system, obey, you, you better do this, 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 and this, and this, and then the result of that is salvation. The cross, the gospel turns everything upside down so that it starts with believe, but you go from believe, saved, and out of that comes obedience. Obedience flows out of the fact that we're a new creature. We're very different. So that's the gospel. So the gospel answers this question. Do I obey and do the very things that I know will please Jesus in order that I will be loved and accepted by him? Or is it I'm already completely loved and unconditionally loved and accepted by God? Therefore, now I am unleashed and free to love and to obey. And out of that relationship with God through Jesus, everything in my life now, I want to, out of adoration for God, Bless him, love God, love others, and serve the world. All of that flows out of a chain. In other words, the order of the gospel is believe, saved. Obedience or fruit comes out of that deep root. What I want today is to give you the implications of Isaiah 53, 1 to 6. First of all, I want to talk, what is the fact of the gospel? Because a lot of people want to mislead us a little bit. There's some contrary opinion just saying that that Jesus died by accident. He was a victim of circumstance. <coughs> and the, the passage is right there. No, he didn't die by accident. He wasn't a victim of circumstance. Jesus said in John 10, uh, the reason that my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority. So you can see, uh, this was not some accident. Th this was not... Jesus was not a victim of circumstance. You see that because it's predicted all the way back in Isaiah 53. Secondly, Jesus didn't die as a martyr. Um, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. But the crucifixion was an absolute divine necessity. And we're going to see how important it is in just a few minutes. But it was a divine necessity. I challenge you to go through the Bible and just, I just looked up a few of them where Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem, Matthew 16, 21. The Son of Man must suffer, Mark 8, 31. The Son of Man must die, Luke 9, 22, 17, 25, and 24, 7. The Son of Man must be lifted up, John 3, 14. It was an absolute divine necessity. Why? Why is the cross so important? 
It absolutely is the only thing that can solve the dilemma of humankind. It's the only thing. All we, Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned aside, turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Last week, I just made the point that when it says, all we like sheep have gone astray, the word, the word ta'ab means I have totally gone the wrong direction. My entire, it's the whole course, the warp and woof of my whole life is misguided. The whole, my whole life is going the wrong direction. It's not that I told a lie. I, well, it is that, but it's way more than that. It's I got on board the Titanic. That's it. The ta is. I, I am so going the wrong direction. My whole life is off course. Whether it be on the Titanic that I'm not putting my silverware in the right order or whether it be I'm stealing at cards. Any of those. I, I'm, the, the point is I'm, I'm, my whole life is misdirected. That's the point. And then the Lord has laid on him. And last week it was, it was the word again. It was the, the, another word that means paga to like it's with tremendous force. I, I, with exceeding emphatic violence, I laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus, on the cross, God takes the magnifying glass of all time, all of the sin, all of the misdirection, all of the things that do not glorify God from every human being, past, present, and future, is focused by this magnifying glass in an instant of time. In an instant in time, all of it is focused on Jesus on the cross. In an instant in time. And to the point where he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. You've forsaken me. And then he bears it all and he says, finally, to tell us die. It's finished. That's why the prideful, audacious notion that you could go back to religion where it's belief, obey, that you could add something to that. That, that is so arrogant. It is so prideful to think it's all of that plus you doing a couple good things. Now, oh, now you're okay. I mean, this wasn't quite enough. It's, it's you doing a few good things. No, it's because of that. The love, the goodness, the loving God, the serving others, serving the world flows out of that. Okay, that was it. Now, what does it accomplish? What I want to do, the cross is so beautiful. It's like a diamond, okay? And a diamond, you look at the cut, you look at the clarity, color, carrot weight. We've looked at a lot of the color and the carrot weight. Uh, we've looked at that last week. What I want to do is show you the facets of this diamond. So if you're going to buy a diamond, uh, you throw the diamonds out on a piece of black velvet, and if those facets are cut perfectly, it gathers the light and reflects the light in a brilliant, brilliant form. So let's look at them. Write these down, and my challenge is over the next five days to get you ready for Good Friday, get you ready for communion on Friday, just take a day, take 10 minutes going through each one of these five facets of the cross. All of them are very true. All of them are very important. All of them 
have been viewed maybe with a little more intensity at various stages of the history of, of Christianity and in different cultures and at different times. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but they're all very important for all of us. The first view is what's called the ransom view. By the way, if you were to be so unfortunate that you'd go to seminary, uh, well, I went to Dallas Theological Cemetery, and it was at that, <laughs> and it was there that I learned. I'm calling calling them facets of the cross. What my professor at the cemetery would have called it would have been five theories of the atonement. Okay, so that's the more technical term for it, the theories of the atonement. I'm just calling them the, the five facets, the diamond of the of the cross. Here we go, uh, ransom view. Uh, the key words here would be either the word payment or ransom. The word ransom was a very common word. It was used way back when the Greek language was used, the Koine Greek language. Uh, Moulton Milligan would talk about the use of the word. The word lutron was used. If a person, you know, there were slaves. People had slaves. But, and so a, a slave could be bought. A slave could be sold. But when, an, when somebody would pay a purchase price for a slave and then set the slave free, make him a free man or a free woman, it was the word lutron. It was, it was ransom. A ransom price was paid. Okay? And so the big idea is Jesus Christ paid a ransom. We were slaves to sin, and he paid on the cross a ransom price to set us free. We're no longer a prisoner of war, a prisoner uh, of sin. Uh, Satan thought he won the battle, but little did he know there would be the resurrection a couple of days later. A major proponent of this, the first person who really wrote a lot about this was Origen in the third century. Uh, there are a number of key scriptures. A couple of them are here, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, this payment for many. Or Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Hey, is, is this help for us? Oh man, is it ever help for us? After Easter, we're going to be going through these seven deadly sins. What a comfort to know that the cross addresses it. Uh, a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free through this ransom price, you'll be free indeed. Well, man, dealing with the things we're going to be dealing with, this is wonderful news. Here's the caution. Each one of these facets has a caution. The caution is don't try and make this a payment to Satan. The focus is on the tremendous cost that God paid for our salvation. He wasn't buying Satan off, okay? Uh, second view, moral influence view. This is something you're very familiar with. You probably have never been to a Christian wedding and not heard the moral influence view. And the key words here would be love or example. Again, I'm not saying that some of these are right, some of them are wrong. All of them are extremely right and extremely needed, okay? That's what makes the diamond so brilliant. The big idea is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to demonstrate God's love, to demonstrate his grace, to show us how much God loves us. And as a response to that, uh, remember the gospel is believe, saved, obey. The response to that is, man, I want to demonstrate that same kind of love to others. That's the plea at a, at a wedding ceremony. The plea is, husbands, 
do what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, okay? Uh, so it, it helps me to want to become more loving and more forgiving and more grateful, etc. Proponents, Abelard in the 11th century, Sassanus in the 16th century, Schleiermacher in the uh, 18th century, a number of key wonderful verses that describe this. One of the big pictures of this, uh, of the uh, moral influence view, was when uh, Jesus was on the cross. Remember, there were, Jesus was on the cross, and there were two thieves on either side of Jesus. And um, one said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember, the one, the one, um, the one thief was mocking him and making fun of him. The other one, man... <laughs> I, need, I want you, I want you. And what's amazing is this guy becomes a Christian, catch it, there's no sermon. There's no sermon. It was just this massive demonstration of love. Grab this guy. He becomes a Christian without a sermon. Not the greatest, but... Uh, <laughs> And remember, there was another guy involved in this whole scene, too. Remember the centurion? The centurion, uh, seeing what had happened, praises God and says, Surely, this was the righteous man. His real name was John Wayne, the duke. Remember? And the centurion, surely, this must have been the son of God. Remember that line in the centurion? It was just this massive influence of the demonstration of the love of God. And how wonderful for, for all of us to see that wonderful demonstration of love. So in 1 Peter 2, he left us this example that we should follow. It's not that we do it in order to get. It's that we see it and we're motivated by it to follow. He's our example. We're to have, 1 Peter 4, the same attitude. Same thing. Or in Ephesians 5, 2, and live, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Okay, here's the caution. You think, how can there be a caution to that? Well, the caution is this. Jesus' death on the cross was much, much more than just an example. If, if that's the main view that you have and it's not balanced by the other four views, you won't be taking sin very seriously. And the gospel can quickly degenerate into merely a social gospel. Not that the gospel isn't social. Hear me. It's not that the gospel isn't social, but it's way more than just that. Third view, the victory view or the military view. Okay, and here are the key words. So what have we seen so far? The cross will set us free from sin. The cross is a wonderful example uh, to follow. The victory view, key words would be power, would be triumph, would be victory. Uh, the main idea is history is a battleground. It's a contention of the forces of good and evil. And Jesus died on the cross to defeat Satan, to neutralize his power in the lives of believers. It's to... To, to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and move us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. Major proponents of this would be Martin Luther, early church fathers. Let me just say, there are t we sang one of the songs, this view. Uh, for, forever, was it forever, the, the one right before Doug got it? That, that really underscores this view, okay? It's a wonderful, it's wonderful. 
throughout times in history where Christians suffered under evil. Man, this view was a major inroad into the gospel. Now, in the United States, you know, it might not be that bit as big. There are, there are places around the world today where they suffer incredible evil. This is a wonderful inroad into the gospel, okay? So different times of the history of Christianity, different places around the world, God will accentuate maybe one of these facets to help people see the, the purposefulness of the entire gospel. So it's very, very key. Here are some key scriptures. Uh, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humil- humanity so that by his death, okay, here it is, purpose. By his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who, are all li- who, who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Or he rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. This, I mean, this is the clarion, victorious trumpet call of the resurrection. Okay, I mean, this, this is it. This is the resurrection. Or John 16, I've overcome the world. Or it's the, it is finished in John 19. Or the reason, 1 John 3, the reason the Son of Man appeared. Now, we wouldn't probably go here. But the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Well, that's, that's the victory aspect of, of the cross. Now, let me give you the caution. The caution is, and, and there are certain aspects of Christianity that really might emphasize this. There's some of our charismatic brothers and sisters who really might value this view of, of the cross more highly than we do, or at least they acknowledge it more readily than we do, okay? And, and it's extremely important. The caution is, though, that if, if this is what you see and you don't really see the others in balance, there's so much about the atonement that you miss, how God can forgive sin and the impact that that can have on our lives and the call to live a life of love as God has lived a life of love. But to ignore, and this is where we are. I think for the typical evangelical church, we, not purposefully, but, but we sort of downplay this facet of the cross. And to do that, we really have very little appreciation for the real battle we're in. So there's a need to see uh, this facet of the cross. Okay? So it sets us free. It's an example to follow. It gives us victory over our arch enemy. And then there is, fourthly, the relational view. This is one that most of us gravitate toward. And, and it's probably because we live in a, in a country. When you look at the divorce rate, when you look at relational uh, disintegration of families in the United States, you can see why this is a wonderful inroad to the gospel for our generation. The relational view, key words would be reconcile, peace, the main idea God brought us to himself, sending his son to be the mediator or to be the bridge between God, sinful man, to bridge, to bring us together um, so that our relationship with God is restored. Therefore, our relationships with one another can be restored as well. 
this would promote the expression, and you've probably heard it a million times, you could probably finish it for me. Christianity is not a religion, it's a blank, what? Relationship, that, and it's true. It just comes from this view. Uh, this is the view. It, it, it's a relationship. Uh, proponents of this, Billy Graham was huge on this, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Navigators, The Bridge. Uh, another one who's really big on this view, but he sort of diminishes some of the other views. I think the others hold all the others very clearly, but Joel Olstein really holds this view, but sort of dismisses or, or at least doesn't mention the others. At least the others mention, <laughs> mention them all, okay? Key scriptures, and you've, you've heard it a, a thousand times. Uh, Romans 5, 6 to 11 actually covers a number of these views, but then he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. He's now given us the ministry of reconciliation, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, same thing. If anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old's gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has now given to us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling to the world in himself, in Christ, etc. So your relationship to God is reconciled through Christ. And once your relationship to God has been restored and reconciled now, through the same Holy Spirit, you have the power to be reconciled to brothers and sisters. This was the whole thrust of, of Jew and Gentile who were at war with one another, being reconciled together uh, through Christ. Here's the caution. The caution is, um, he did die to bring us together, but ju just like the others, uh, if that is our only view, you know, we're it's more like Joel Olstein, and uh, it's sort of incomplete by itself, and we really need all five of the views of the cross in order to appreciate the full beauty of the diamond. So he has set us free from sin. He's given us example to follow, to be loving like he is loving. He's given us victory over the enemy, defeated death, reconciliated. We're reconciliated with God and with others. The final aspect of the cross is probably the one that that I lean on, probably, if I'm going to share my faith with somebody, it's probably the, the view that, that I naturally sort of fall toward. The last view would be the um, substitution view. You could call it the legal view, the penal view, the judicial view. Keywords would be sacrifice. Keywords would be atonement. The main idea would be this. And I've given this illustration a lot as well. Uh, the one I've given is a picture of the courtroom scene. God is the judge, uh, and you're, you know, you're brought. There's the, the uh, prosecuting attorney brings you before the bar. Uh, you're guilty. You've sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. You deserve punishment. You broke the law, and um, we're, we're guilty. We deserve the punishment. And Jesus says, I will take the punishment in their place. In other words, substitution, substitution. So there can still be the pouring out of the wrath of God, but now instead of on me, it's Jesus. This is the judicial view that's underscoring this truth. The wrath is going to be poured out on Jesus instead of me, even though I'm the one who deserve it. And so his wrath is, it's the word propitiated. He's satisfied. 
His justice is served. Very true. I mean, it's very, very true. There are a lot of uh, John Calvin, Anselm, the whole Roman road that, that I naturally sort of gravitate toward. Presbyterianism, you know, gravitates in, in this direction as well. Lots of key scriptures. Uh, you can read those. I've got them in your, in your notes. Um, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many, etc. Uh, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. See, there's the substitution. He was going to be sin for me or in my place so that we might become the righteousness of God. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died in my place. That's the substitution. Can I give you the caution? Here's, the, here's my big caution. Because I can, I can reel through that stuff and people can come out of the other side of that and go, you know, I really like Jesus, but I'm scared to death of God. <laughs> That's the caution with this view. Because, I mean, I even heard a Sunday school teacher try and present it to their little students. You know, one of those little precious moment kids, dolls, you know. Here's you, precious moment, and you've sinned. So you need to get the judgment of God. Judgment of God is the big hammer. Now, the judgment of God is going to come down, but Jesus, the pan, is placed over a precious moment. And <laughs> so you beat the pan. Jesus is absorbing the blows that were intended to me. He's bearing the blows in my place on the cross. So you remove the pan, precious moment is fine. So a little kid goes, I like Jesus. I don't like God. And that's the danger. I mean, the, the danger is no, no. It's not like Jesus runs to the rescue. This is the immense importance of the Trinity. It's God saying, my justice demands that a payment be made, but I am going to take it. I'm going to become a human being and take it myself for you. So, I think once we understand why Jesus died, then we can really appreciate all five of the Thursday of the Atonement or the facets of the diamond of the gospel of the cross. So that the ransom, Jesus paid a ransom to set me free. Isn't that amazing? I was a slave to sin and Jesus paid the ransom to set me free. Jesus died to demonstrate God's love for me. Jesus died to destroy the devil's work, to neutralize his stranglehold on me, his power over me, to move me out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light. That's what the gospel did. That's what the cross did. Jesus died to restore my relationship. I was designed to be in relationship with God. And Jesus died on the cross to restore that relationship. And because of that now, when I love the way he loves and attempt to be reconciled the same way Jesus attempts to help us be reconciled with God, provides that path, now I can be reconciled to others, even others who were at war with me, who are very different from me. And he died 
in my place as my substitute. I deserved everything that was poured out on Jesus. I absolutely deserved it. He took it. How in the world would I ever be so prideful to think I can add to that? Would you, here's your assignment, over the next five days, spend 10 minutes, take one of those each day for the next five days and get ready, 5.30, Doug Fern is going to lead us through the communion service on Good Friday, Friday, and then get ready for Easter. Doug, Pastor Doug Schillinger will be doing our Easter on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And you, become, you come, you be so ready for your world to be rocked. But don't do it alone. Take one of those invite cards. Bring, bring somebody with you. I think when you understand how critical the cross is and the resurrection is, you're going to be so motivated, so motivated. I want to talk about the effect. I knew I wouldn't have time, so it's, it, it, I've got it all in your notes. You can read it in your notes. Take this week to read it in your notes, how it's going to impact you. I do want to make one point, though. Well, two points. Before I get there, let me just say this. I don't know what you personally have ever done with this. If for you it's just information that you check off, or is it something you, ha you have really believed and put your faith in so that you could be saved, experience salvation. You know, there was a church in the New Testament called Laodicea. There's a lot of stuff that they knew. I mean, they could spit it in, spit it out. And, you know, Jesus turned to them and he says, you know what? Uh, why don't you either... either Either be hot or cold. You're just so wishy-washy. You're just so lukewarm. And let me tell you, lukewarmness, Christianity, if you're trying to do the believe, work hard, hope your life becomes like Jesus, and therefore earn it, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. It's not going to cut it. So Jesus now turns to this church at Laodicea, and he uses many of these facets of the cross to appeal. He says, behold, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and eat with him or sup with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with the Father on his throne. Do you, do you hear the aspects of the, all the different aspects of the cross in those verses? You see the victory, you see the ransom, you see all, you see the relational aspect, sup together. So it's an invitation. I, I just want to appeal to you if you have never responded to the gospel don't let the end of this day go by without doing it. Talk to me. Doug Schillinger, he's always out in the lobby. Talk to Doug. Scott's over here. Talk to Scott. Uh, there's other 
guys and gals, there's elders available, people at the Connect booth. Do not leave this Sunday without getting that straight. Don't leave this Sunday. Okay, real quick, I just want to point you in the right direction. So what does all this mean for me if I've really made that decision? Belief, saved, fruit, obey. What does it mean for me? Here's a biggie. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So let me just give you these blanks so you can fill them in. I'm sorry, I had so many blanks in here. I was probably driving you nuts, but you can go online. There's just too many. So God doesn't reject me when I sin, right? He doesn't reject me when I sin because all that the Father gives to me is going to come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'm not going to ever cast them out. Why? Why does God still love you and accept you when you sin? Because you're not perfect yet. Why is there no condemnation? Here it is. Because his love is unconditional. You can read the verses. Secondly, because our acceptance is not based on our performance. That should be real clear after today. Thirdly, because our acceptance is based on our position in Christ. 167 times that's said. Secondly, God's not angry with me when I'm inconsistent. He knows what we're made of. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And thirdly, and this is big, God doesn't punish me when I sin. See, punishment is payment for a past transgression. Who took all the punishment? Jesus. Where? On the cross. When? 2,000 years ago. To say to a Christian that you deserve more punishment is to say Jesus must not have done enough. So he says there's therefore now no condemnation, no punishment. The only thing that that can solve condemnation or, or a punishment or condemnation is punishment. Punishment has to be death. That's why Judas, when Judas responded to condem, condemnation, he went out and did what? He hung himself. Peter, just outwardly, just as messed up, but he trusted Christ. He responded instead to conviction, which led him in a positive direction. And so God used him 60 days later to lead 3,000 people to Christ. Listen, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. But let me just say, too many Christians I talk to eradicate their joy in their Christian life by saying, hmm, God must be punishing me with this sickness because I did this, this, and this. Or God must be punishing me with, I got laid off from my job because I this, this, and this. No, let me tell you a thousand times no. God is not trying to get even. God settled the cross, the, the God settled the score on the cross. You're his child. You are not his enemy. You think, Jeff, I mean, it's been two weeks on Isaiah 53, 1 to 6. What's the big deal? This is the big deal. This is it. This is the big deal. And because of it, because of this, 
people can get close to God. They can experience his joy. They can experience his forgiveness. They can experience his power. They can experience the victory. If you don't get this, after Easter, we're going to go through seven deadly sins. You don't have a prayer of getting it straight if you don't understand the cross. You have to understand the cross. You have to understand the God behind the cross to get all this straight. And then God equips and empowers you to be more like Jesus. And all those notes are right there. So let's all stand up and we'll close with prayer. That's enough for you to think about. And then I can't wait to see you all Friday night as we have communion together. And you come prepared too. Okay, don't come unprepared. So Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have so much to thank you for. This whole week as we focus on the cross, this whole week as we prepare for the resurrection makes us just fall down in thanksgiving that you paid a ransom price to set me free. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. That you perfectly demonstrated God's love for me. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for being the demonstration of God's love. Thank you, Jesus, for defanging the devil, for destroying his grip on my life, and for transforming me and transferring me out of an evil, dark kingdom and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the beloved Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you restored my relationship to you. You paved the way for me to be reconciliated, that I could actually be restored in my relationship to God, my relationship, therefore, to others. Lord, it should have been me. It should have been me. You took my punishment that I deserved. And my sentence for all time, every day, every moment, the punishment has been paid in full to Telestai. And therefore, there is now no condemnation. But on the other hand, I yield to the Holy Spirit and I can't wait because of adoration to become more and more like you. So we thank you for this. And we pray it all in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.